So today, there are three readings, one from Exodus, more murmuring and complaining, I love these, uh, Philippians, perhaps the healthiest uh, of the congregations that Paul founded, and he's speaking about uh, that having the mind of Christ, so we might want to know something about that. And also in Matthew, we have uh, questions and complaining or criticism about Jesus' authority and where does it come from. And then a parable about the two sons. Some biblical scholars believe that this is an early precursor in the tradition to the story that appears only in Luke called the prodigal son, which is famous but it only appears in Luke's gospel. So this may be a precursor, uh, and it's about something sort of similar. So we'll talk about that. But the thread is beginning with the grumbling and God's abiding presence and how that all happens. So this week, the people of Israel are on their trek going by stages, it says, and they're in the wilderness of sin. No pun intended. It's just the, the, the wilderness of sin. They're there. And they're running out of things and there's no water. And they're getting very anxious and they're ner nervous and worried and they're very critical uh, and uh, complaining a lot about the leadership, about Moses and about Aaron and what is it that's going to happen to them and now feeling sorry for themselves that they've been brought out here and they're going to die in the wilderness. So God tells Moses to take his staff, the staff that he parted the Red Sea with, and to go to a rock that has been appointed by him and say, I want you to strike this rock. And he does, and water gushes out of the rock. Well, the main theme in this particular case is that in the midst of all of the complaining, the kvetching, the uh, criticism, and the fear and the anxiety, God is present and God supplies. So that text has been for um, all people who read it, and certainly in the Jewish tradition and our own tradition, that God supplies and is present to us even in the midst of our complaining even though there's a little footnote that he's going to call the place, I think, Masa and Mirabah, because it was a place of complaining and fault-finding. You know, this is what I love. So we're still going to call it that, right? But it's uh, about God supplying. Now, um, Christian people who, for whom uh, the Hebrew Bible was their sacred text before the Christian scriptures become you know, as we have them, uh, looked at this particular text and said, you know, this has for us some baptismal imagery. The, wa the living water, which now for us is understood as that which slakes our physical thirst, but also slakes our spiritual thirst, because baptism for Christian people is the means by which we are grafted onto the body of Christ. We're clicked back into place, and somehow we understand ourselves uh, in a way that um, is cooperating with the divine initiative. So it is an outward sign that reaffirms that internal commitment and that sense of conversion to the wish to live 
a life consistent with God's purposes for us. So this is about faithfulness, the faithfulness of God, and it is about how the people perceive this even in the midst of their waywardness and uh, their inability sometimes to, to do it because they're just all upset and they're angry and, and a whole lot of other things. But God remains faithful in the middle of all this. So in Philippians, we have in today's reading this. We have a, a fragment of a, an early Christian hymn about who Jesus is and so forth. And also Paul is speaking in Philippians about uh, having the mind of Christ. He's saying to the congregation in their life together in community, here are certain things about how we ought to live together and we ought to do this. And part of it is that we have uh, as a model Jesus whose self-giving was the ultimate self-giving. He gave his life for us in that reckoning. And so we need to think about how self-giving operates for us. And you know, I think about this all the time because preachers talk about this in heroic terms. But most of us have to uh, endure a lot of suffering that is quotidian. It's everyday inconvenience. And, and we learn how, I mean, we can become big complainers and, you know, people's personality types uh, reflect in some way the ability to uh, put up with minor annoyance or not and all of those kinds of things. But those of you who have to drive distances to work in your car and contending with all of that sort of stuff or finally coming when you're in a mood to what Jean-Paul Sartre, the French philosopher, once said, hell is other people. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about somebody who finds themselves, uh, you know, in the mission field in Africa and is all of a sudden attacked by uh, marauding bands and, and uh, saves a family and gets killed. That's pretty something, isn't it? You know, I wonder if, if I would be able to do something like that. Years ago in my former parish in Sausalito, uh, we were having some kind of a discussion group and my then parish organist said, who just lived up the street from the church, uh, we were talking about the Holocaust. And she said, you know, I always like to think that if I were in Germany in uh, the 1930s, the early 1930s, Hitler comes into power in 1933, and sort of the train to insanity, you know, begins now until 1945 or six. And um, if this started to go on, I like, I'd like to think that I'd say something. Or I'd join up with some people who were who were upset and said, how come I woke up today in Los Gatos and there are no more Jews here? Where have the Jews gone? Where did they go? But she said, you know what? Probably not. 
but you do a lot of other kinds of suffering and difficulty, or how do you unite yourself in some way, uh, in a healthy sense, with uh, that kind of stuff that goes on in the world? Well, Paul's answer is that we have, have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. So that could be understood to mean understanding Jesus as the template that I always talk about. Hebrews, you know, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That we're able in some way to understand as we seek to live a balanced life, one that is healthy in relationship, what is the appropriate amount of self-giving that we need to engage in in order to foster healthy relationship. So each one of us needs to learn the very hard lesson about what is, how, what is the right way to be self-centered. How do you develop the internal self-regulation and stamina to be able to do that and to suffer some of the things that we suffer and how do you then uh, do it in such a way as to preserve your own personal integrity and the ability that you have to uh, make a difference, you know. This is important because uh, it has a lot to do with how we understand uh, God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. That maybe we're part of modeling that to the world in relationships. So we act towards other people this way. None of us will ever be able to do that perfectly. But we believe that that's what God does for each of us, no matter what. In the gospel, we have the story of the two sons, but it's preceded by a query uh, to Jesus about where he gets his authority. And he very cleverly ha handles this. It's, a, it's good spin. It would be like a press interview today because they're trying to entrap him. And I think by this time, Jesus already knows that they're after him. And so he is uh, responding in a way uh, that is very clever because he knows that if the, the religious leadership that he's speaking with says that John the Baptist's ministry is from God, then they're going to be in hot water with the leadership. And if they say it's not from God, they're going to be in hot water with the people. And the people are the ones who believe in the righteousness of John the Baptist's ministry. And so it will not be uh, a pleasant situation. So he said, since you can't answer this question, I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from either. So it's pretty clever in some sense. But then he says this. This is the point he's going to make. The religious leadership is all about who's in and who's out. Who's first and who's last. So this means that um, he's now telling them that um, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before him. Now, coincidentally, it's the tax collectors and the prostitutes who believed in the righteousness of John the Baptist's ministry and who are followers of Jesus. So he's there kind of in a position here. He tells the, the parable 
about the two sons. Father says to one son, go work in the vineyard. And he said, I will. And he doesn't go. And the second son said, I'm not going to go. And he goes. So that's sort of like our behavior, isn't it, in many ways? We have people who do that. I mean, the church is an all-volunteer organization to a large degree. We have a few paid members, paid staff, but it's an all-volunteer organization. And, and other uh, nonprofits and, and uh, organizations that I know about, know, I have all kinds of people say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come there. They don't show, you know. <laughs> and then somebody who you didn't expect shows up. You know, and, and things begin to get done. That's how it works. But the point that G, we could preach on this text in several ways. It's important not just to talk to talk, but to walk the walk. You've heard that before. You know, so you mean what you say and say what you mean. You know? It's also uh, could be preached about the importance of knowing that it's never too late to change your mind. That it's never too late to turn your life around. That it's never too late to uh, get a clearer and, and, and stronger vision about who you are, what God's purposes are for you, how you can make a difference in big and small ways in God's plan for the cosmos. And it's all about uh, the fact that somehow uh, you need to be in some way self-disciplined to do that. You need to be obedient and attentive uh, in this, pay attention to what's going on. I told you the Dalai Lama about seven or eight years ago, I heard him in an interview on PBS. He said, well, what do you need to do? The interviewer said, what do you need to do to achieve some sort of spiritual centeredness and, you know, be, uh, he said, it's very important to be a good person. And he's right. <laughs> you know, so sometimes that means doing what you say you're going to do. And being obedient to that kind of thing. Building uh, character. Years ago, Mother Morrison and I took a class together uh, up at the Pacific School of Religion uh, that was given by a, a, um, an Episcopal priest who is also a Jungian therapist. His name was John Sanford. And he gave this class. It was really good. And he... Um, he had a line, this is off the subject, but uh, somebody raised their hand and said, do you think that reincarnation is true? And Dr. Zabert said, I hope it's not. <laughs> I never ask in any parish I've served, I've never asked anybody if they believe, believe in any reincarnation because I don't want to have to look at all the hands raised that do. <laughs> so, uh, the, in, in any case, uh, that's, that's something, you know? But what he was, he was speaking about there, just in the course of one of his lectures, he said, I, I think character, because we're talking about, you know, doing what you say and not, not... He said, I think character could be understood as living your life according to certain principles. You know, and each of us need to be in a continuous conversation about what the principles are we wish to lead our life by, because we know a lot of people who are rigidly observant about a whole lot of principles that I'm 180 degrees away from, and so would you be. And uh, so how do we understand what that means? And to some extent, that's what this parable is about. 
God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness uh, is the thing that Jesus is speaking about today in some form. You know, we don't get connected to God. We don't die and go to God because of our virtues. We don't go to God, die and go to God, or are in the presence of God because we're a good person. God is with us because he unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us, no matter what. And it is his grace that provides the opportunity for us to do that. This is a bitter pill because you and I need to be good people and we need to be virtuous people. But if you do that thinking that uh, it's something that you need to do in order to get into heaven or to be okay or have good luck come your way, not so, not so, you know. We talked about this. Virtue has its own reward. It has its own reward. Doing the right thing is in and of itself the right thing to do. So this week, think about what the right thing to do is, you know. It's not always self-evident. But what we learn from the reading from Exodus is that in the midst of wandering around and being anxious and upset and grumbling and critical, that God is always present, that God won't desert you, and that God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives you. So hold that close to your heart this week. See if it helps. Amen. Amen.